You were born a hunter-gatherer. You were born a social animal, one that moves within the land and moves between bands in a world that was meant to be less measured, less exact. We were meant for lives with more meaning and less consequence, a life where connection and meaning are implicit, where animals have voices and trees have stories, a world where rivers flow unabated and water isn't a health hazard, a world without fences, a world without flags, a world without rulers and gods. It's our world, the world of primal anarchy. We are here to say that either the world burns or the cities do. We're here to say that abusers convince you that you have no choice. We're here to say that marketers convince you that you have their options. We're here to say that you are wild, that you can be free. We're here to say that there's a match in one end and bull cutters in the other. And we aren't here to say that the world is waiting. We are here to say that the world is fighting. We are here to say that their story only ends one way. We're here to tell you that there are others. Primal Anarchy Podcast is a collection of rants, tirades, condemnations, readings, musings, explorations, response, interviews, and iterations hosted by Primal Anarchist writers Kevin and Natasha Tucker. Find us online at primalanarchy.org, all major podcast platforms, and the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network. Welcome to Primal Anarchy Podcast. This is episode 29. It is July 27th, 2021, and we are coming to you from occupied Lenny Lenape and Susquehannock lands. So uh, a little bit different this time, this episode. Um, I'm actually just, it's just me, Kevin Zucker. Hi. Uh, I'm recording an intro here for the second half of a discussion that my co-host, my wife, the amazing writer, Natasha, uh, Natasha Tucker, has had with Peter Michael Bauer of Rewild Portland, rewild.com or .org, um, and the Rewilding Podcast. So there's the first half of that discussion was recorded with him. The podcast is released with him. And this is the second half, just to kind of keep that discussion going between them. But I'm just recording a, an intro for that and then getting it going. Uh, so Natasha and Pete, you know, we've all been around the rewilding world for some time. Uh, you know, and even in the in the 2000s, there's been some well-documented stuff back and forth between Pete and I that's been, you know, pretty, pretty much under the bridge for some time. But uh, more or less have been in it for long enough to have known and have seen and have had the experience of seeing it changed drastically from where it was and throughout the 2000s predominantly rewilding was just kind of a part of this anti-civ uh green anarchist milieu uh i mean obviously existed in other ways and other places but it existed within this context and there's all these different aspects about the things that were going on in the 2000s in particular where the writing that was happening the discussions that have happened the things that have uh had some kind of degree of holdover have kind of lost that context because we had the LF, we had the ALF, we had uh, the anti-globalization movement, we had the Green Scare, we had all these different things going on and different reactions to them. And it was it was a pretty big context for what was going on. And so a lot of the kind of stuff that we would have involved with, with you know, learning um, ancestral skills or, or whatever you want to call them uh, and learning about bioregions, learning about the history of place, learning about the land, was all within this greater context of understanding. It's like, you know, genocide has happened here, especially in the Americas, 
genocide has happened here. Genocide is ongoing here. The destruction of the land is undeniably taking place. Like, all these different aspects played into it. And it really was about trying to understand this context, this resistance, this movement forward and trying to build a community and build skills. Yeah, you know, all that stuff fit together. It was very crucial that it did. And that didn't remain that way. Like, Rewilding really kind of took off on its own and kind of became its own thing. And it, it became uh, fairly, I would say, too safe in its regards of just being another outlet for escapism um, or another outlet worse for survivalism and prepping and all these different kind of ideas and ideals that just didn't necessarily fit within the time. And, and Natasha and I have talked about it a little bit on the podcast. We'll talk about other places. I believe her and her and know her and Pete do talk about it in this conversation. You know, what are the limits of rewilding? What are the limits of the term rewilding? How do you get it back to that kind of context? How does it line up with like, Solidarity with decolonial and decolonial struggles. How does it line up with land back? Um, you know, how, how do we move on from issues like uh, concepts that have been kind of built in through wilding of saying we're going to kind of save this land through buying it or something like that. It's like problematic frameworks that have existed. And, you know, we've had enough time now to reflect on them. So Natasha and I don't use the word rewilding so much anymore just because it's it's been removed of that context and, now there's all kinds of ridiculous marketing that has gone on. And I mean, it's been this way for quite some time, really. Uh, Pete does talk about this as well. But, you know, how do you get that? How do you get that back? Uh, and that's obviously been the focus of the podcast, the work we do. But in this discussion, so uh, it's Natasha and Pete talking about uh, working with the land, working with kids, the term rewilding, how rewilding has changed over time, the nature of how that change has occurred. Um, yeah, so you should check out the first half of that discussion, uh, with the rewilding podcast and then come back on this one. You're rearing to go. Otherwise you're just jumping into the second half of this conversation and, uh, oh, it works, but you know, you want the whole thing, right? Uh, but just aside from that, I uh, will say Natasha and I are going to have some episodes coming up. Uh, it's just been a long, hard stretch and, um, you know. Life has made it hard for us to be able to just kind of like sit down and find the time to just record a podcast and get it out, and especially to do that with any kind of regularity. But um, some classes go on. Natasha said some classes go on and th- different kinds of things, but we're having some changes again, and I think that's kind of making it a lot more possible for us to get back to some regularity. I don't know that we've necessarily fully had it, but uh, I did start a second podcast too, which is different. Um, I had to describe it as fun, uh, which is something that I don't think it's said about a lot of the projects I do, but that's cool. Uh, it's called These Old Dogs, and it's uh, you can see it, you can find it on the Black and Green website, and um, you can also find it on all, all the podcast platforms. So it's called These Old Dogs, and it's mainly me talking about like the 90s and 2000s anarchist and punk scenes. Um, there's a lot of pros, there's a lot of cons, there's probably more cons to everything, but just kind of telling those kind of stories and more like freeform discussive rather than just focusing solely on the ideas, kind of more of the background. Uh, I know it's been fun to do. I'm going to be definitely doing a lot more of it. Uh, and um, yeah, so check it out, share that, tell your friends, check this out, share it, tell your friends and black and green press. The long outstanding order backlog is pretty much 
Well, I guess it would be out by the time this episode's out. Um, so please do support us. Please do order our books. We are not Amazon. We do not pretend to be Amazon. We hate Jeff Bezos. We hate Amazon. So real life can be hard. There have been times where things are, are struggles, but, you know, we're not trying to emulate the uh, the Amazon experience. But everything does go out. And, you know, we have a lot more coming. We have a lot of really awesome stuff that's going to be coming up here really soon that we'll be announcing more of. But, yeah, check it out, blackandgreenpress.org. And there's also information on how to donate because we black and green's got tremendous debt any help we can get we will gladly take it i've got a patreon that's linked on there natasha's gonna have a patreon soon but it's not up just yet and then uh all the books there's a link for the shirts and mugs uh tapestries all that kind of stuff so there's a lot there if you go to blackandgreenpress.org uh primalanarchy.org has all the back episodes of this but you can get it wherever you get podcasts and of course we are part of the channel zero podcast network and we are gladly a part of the channel zero podcast network so if you go there you can also get the podcast there so uh without taking up any more time um there's a lot of things i really want to talk about uh going to hopefully get back on track here and natasha and i'll be able to sit down and uh record some more stuff but without further ado here is that interview yeah, so, I've had a I've had a like interesting pandemic experience where I've just gone down the rabbit hole of calories and quote unquote health and um it's just one of those things where I never I've never focused on a lot of the sort of individual aspects of life because I'm such a social person. <laughs> and I can't do things unless other people are doing that with me, you know? I just sit there and yeah. do nothing by myself. <laughs> um and so in that regard, like, yeah, I think it makes me think of, you know, you had Dina on your show and her whole, the like greeting in Chumash, right? Is like yeah. us doing health together. <laughs> like, it's amazing, right? Right, right. And I just think that it, it kind of comes down to that, really. Like, how do we do health together? And again, these sort of like, and what does it look like anymore anyway? Like, what what is what what, what are our expectations and how can we set them without um, setting them too high that we can never actually meet the expectations of what we think health should be like living in a toxified environment. Well, it's really sobering. And actually, so I'm 38. I think you and I are almost the exact same age. Yeah, I'm 38. Um, and I lost my mom a few years ago to what started as breast cancer. I mm. also lost my grandmother to the same thing. Um, and I was very close to both of them. I was very close to my mom. Um, and I was with her like straight through you know, her whole process over about five years of being sick and having this, you know, cancer come back and whatnot. And I learned a lot about the type types of estrogenic cancers that women can get and how those are like very much environmentally influenced, but they're also genetic. They're also like at a genetic level, totally. you may have a predisposition for these things. So now at 38, suddenly I'm having to go for genetic testing to find out if I'm yep. carrying these genes, right? And yep. it, no matter what I find out, you know, there will be decisions to make around that, like there always are around health stuff. But it just, I mean, I think I'm in a place personally right now to think, um, you know, about how no matter what I do, and, and I'm sure you have people in your life too that are maybe around the same age as you that have been diagnosed recently with cancer and it's just so 
sobering because some of these people that I know are some of the healthiest people around, Totally, literally, totally health conscious, have been doing all the right things, have been eating well, have been taking care of themselves, bam, get that cancer diagnosis. And I I feel like it's still something we don't like really want to talk about. Of course, it's super unpleasant. It's really scary. We have to like look at our own mortality to even be able to like talk about the idea of cancer right now but it is so widespread. Oh yeah. That I mean it's it's absolutely like epidemic levels, right? Yeah. But so then I think about and I and I just keep sort of like going around and I and I too have had this experience during the pandemic of thinking about like my body and like what I put into my body and what I consume and my weight and my body image and you know I think a lot of us have gone through some of these processes this year. Um And I just think like, man, we're working so hard to be healthy and we're not looking at like this huge elephant in the Mm -hmm. room of like, we are like stewing in a toxic soup. Like we have to go (laughs) to like the root of it. Like we have to say to each other, like this has to fucking stop. We're poisoning ourselves. Our communities are not well. But then the problem is that it's not, it's not like individual efforts that are causing it or, or, or stopping it it's right. at such a global exactly. level of manufacturing yeah. for the most part. Totally. And then I just circle back to, well, we better start talking more seriously about what dismantling <laughs> this looks like because it's the greater systems Absolutely. that are yeah. at work. Yep. I mean, this is like, you know, um, so I, because of all of my sort of going down different rabbit holes of health, in the pandemic, I, I ran a rewilding your health class in the spring Mm. and it was basically like tools to give people, but to take control of their own health. But then at the same time, it was a secondary class to the, the one-on-one that I teach because I wanted people to go through that first to get that. This is what we're talking about. We're actually talking about systemic change. And if you can't, you know, the, the people like, you know, whose name shall not be mentioned, who had a podcast around, um, you know, narcissistic he- obsession with your health and things like that. Um, you know, I wanted to sort of be able to offer a, a rewilding your health through the lens of systemic rewilding first and, and to kind of give people that as a foundation. And then also recognize that, yes, there are things that you can do to help mitigate but there's no guarantees anymore, right? And so, you know, I mean, like I'm, I'm going through a thing now where my mom has dementia. She's had Alzheimer's for mm. a few years. And oh, that's I, really hard, Pete. Yeah, I take care of her on Tuesdays. And, um, you know, same thing. I had genetically, you know, I'm predispositioned to, for Alzheimer's. So, you know, becoming obsessed with <laughs> what are all the things I can do to prevent it while also simultaneously knowing that it may not actually matter you know, and, and and there's so much shit in the environment that um, it just might not change, you know, and I've had digestive issues my entire life. I've done all of the things that you can possibly imagine to help my digestion and nothing has worked. Um, right. So it's one of those things where you just kind of accept it at some point that what level of health you're going to have, um, you, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. The dementia thing is interesting too, because it, it ties very much into our sleep 
And I don't know if you're familiar with what, you know, Alzheimer's now is theoretically caused by what are called amyloid proteins that build up in the brain and then create a plaque inside the brain and slow wave sleep or deep sleep is what actually cleans out the amyloid proteins on a nightly basis. I didn't know that. And that is so fascinating. Oh yeah. The idea of, um, Alzheimer's essentially is linked to people's ability to have slow wave sleep that actually cleans out their proteins. Um, and yeah, there's just so much science that's gone into sleep in the last decade. That's done some pretty found out some pretty interesting things, but, um, yeah, now I'm just like obsessed with sleep and trying to figure out how I can get the right sleep. And you think about the kind of environment that we live in um, with lights, you know, like not, I mean, I think we've been talking about toxin, you know, toxification in terms of like chemicals. We're not even, we even didn't talk about like light pollution, right? Like the idea that the amount of lights in the city are totally fucking with people's melatonin to the point where they're actually not able to get the proper amount of sleep, right? It's not just- right. Uh, or noise pollution, you know, like I live near a railroad that's going on all night long and, you know, the highway and things like that, where it's just, there's always um, living in these particularly urban contexts. There's just so much pollution that isn't even thought of as pollution per se, that is also affecting our health in the same way. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up too. Cause I was thinking the other day, like the things that we don't even know that we've lost, right? So like each generation has this experience, especially, you know, of course in the modern, it's the modern world that I'm talking about each generation because we have this tendency to like totally disregard or forget what the last generation experienced (laughs) because we don't come from an entire culture, right? So, and I was thinking about like the things that each generation has lost that they don't even know that they have lost. They don't even, we don't even know enough to know some of the things that we've lost. Totally. Yeah. And I talked to, I used to talk about it a lot when um, Revel, my, my, the son that I like carried in my womb, cause Kevin and I have a bunch of kids together, but I gave mm-hmm. birth to one um, that I used to think about it a lot, like after he was born and we'd go swimming, you know, we love to be outside. And, and then he immediately like wanted to drink all the water from like all the streams that we were going to mm-hmm. like, of course, right. Like yeah, we're right. a creature that is thirsty. Yeah. We're going to go straight to the water yeah. to drink. Our babies want to drink water. <laughs> and I would have to be like, stop, stop. Ah, no, don't drink that. Like you can't drink that. It's and I didn't, yeah. and then like, I remember just like one day I was like, I don't even know how to like explain this to him. Yeah. Like this yeah. is water. Your instinct is to drink it where you're never going to be able to do that. Like for where you live right now, you know, maybe one day you'll move somewhere and you'll be able to do that right now here. You're not ever going to be able to drink the water from these beautiful flowing waterways. And I was like crushed. Like it totally mm. like just took all the wind out of my sails in a way that I had not yet experienced. And then, you know, in the time since like raising the kids and seeing them grow up, they just adapt. Like they're, they're growing up in the world that they're growing up in, you know, even like wearing masks and having the pandemic and stuff. Like I think it was weird to them for like two days. And then two (laughs) days later they were like, where's my mask? Like, let's, you know, whatever. They're like, it has dinosaurs on it. (laughs) But it's like that 
um, resiliency, right? That adaptivity that we have. I don't know if adaptivity is even a word, but I kind of like it for this. Yeah. Is like that's inborn in us also like allows us to adapt to just like the most heinous situations, mm -hmm. like not being able to drink the water in any totally. of the waterways in our area. Yeah. Um, so that know. makes me think of uh, another that. question for you that uh, somebody asked me on Facebook the other day. And I was like, Ooh, this would be a good thing for us to, for, for me to pose to you as well. Cause, um, and now I'm trying to find it. And of course it's not showing up. Here we go. So a mom asked me, I don't forget what I posted. I don't know. I was ranting about something. And the mom asked me, what would you tell your kid who seriously thinks there's no point in pursuing her dreams because she may not even live on an inhabitable earth soon. <laughs> I saw you post this and I was like yeah. really thinking about it. And then today when I was thinking about talking to you, I was looking through the responses that, you know, different people had. And I, I really appreciated the amount of thought that people, you know, I think, it, I think that question really hit people. Yeah. But I mean, it's a hard one. Like one, I feel apologetic a lot to the kids because it's hard to explain things. Like it's, it's mm. hard to explain any of these things that yeah. they hear. Like they're, they're learning now they're a little bit older. They're learning about the environment. They're learning about climate change. They're learning about pollution. What do you say to them? Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. There's been a lot of generations of bad decision-making and like people who don't care about the general well-being of anything here and are very selfish and now here we are but i mean that doesn't do much to yeah. alleviate yeah. the things that they'll mm -hmm. encounter but at the same time i have been really and i think it's just like part of how i am so then that's my style of parenting is to like take a lot of joy from small things in life. And, um, you know, the kids have grown up really in large part outside making their connections to, you know, the birds and the trees and the, and the dirt and the soil and everything that's there. And, um, you know, I see in them the, a connection, like a, a connection that is, that is some kind of strength that's now it's some kind of strength so i don't know i mean what do you think yeah and makes me think of my friend mindy who's also a mom i think she probably commented on there she's always joking with me because uh there's some story that she loves that i hate which is um i don't know if it i don't even know where the origin of it comes from but it's like, you know, a man is being chased by a tiger and falls off a cliff and he's like holding onto a branch dangling with the tigers above and, you know, a hundred foot fall below him and the branch is sliding out of the cliff and he's going to fall out soon. And he looks over and sees like a strawberry growing and like plucks it and puts it in his mouth and it's very delicious. And that's like the end of the story. You know? And she's like, you just have, you know, it's like, you just have to live in the moment, like take pleasures. And I'm always just like, that's fucking bullshit. I hate that story. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then um, during the uprising here in Portland, I was down um, at, at the Justice Center downtown and um, there was this group called Riot Ribs and they just were serving food. It was like a mutual aid 
you know, thing. And they just had barbecues, like nonstop barbecue, um, 24 seven, just going down there in the park. And, uh, That's amazing. I, it was yeah, my <laughs> first time delicious. down there. Yeah. My first time <laughs> down there, I walked up and I was like, expecting a bunch of like vegan anarchist food you know what i mean and i was kind of like i was starving because i forgot to bring food and i walked up and i was like what do you got and they're like oh we're out of burgers do you want this steak and it was like this huge fucking steak and i was just like yes and they were like okay cool here you go and i was like uh do i owe you anything and they're like no it's all free and i was just like okay cool i like pulled 20 bucks out of my pocket and like put it in their donations thing you know and i just like sat that. there and like ate the steak and I didn't have a fork or a napkin. So I just had like steak juice, like all over my fingers and my hands and stuff. And so I was telling Mindy about this and she made a meme that was like, you know, Peter goes down to whatever is down there and there's, you know, riot police on one side and blah, 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 and tear gas on the other. And in the middle, he's eating this delicious steak or whatever, you know, based on the, like the strawberry story. And I just thought that was so funny, but yeah, I mean, really there's, there's just a level of like, I think, um, being able to embrace wherever you are in life. And like, I mean, I don't know I've there's this guy, Leonard Martin. I don't know if you heard of him or have read any of his work, but he's a psychologist um, who became obsessed with the immediate return, delayed return mm -hmm. concept and created this thing he calls the uh, immediate return compensation or delayed return compensation theory, which is that we're all um, like most of the culture that we invent is to basically to compensate for the fact that we don't have an immediate return culture anymore. And yeah. um, anyway, that, that the main point of existence is to be like in a flow state where you're like living in the moment, enjoying the moment and not be preoccupied with the past or the future. Um, and so I think a lot of that kind of plays into this for me of like, there's, there's a level two of, there's two different things going on. There's like the narrative, maybe three. <laughs> the narrative and then like the experience of being in the moment. And then also like how, um, how I'm working with depression biologically, because I know there's like chemical reactions that influence my depression. And if sure. I do certain things like go running or get a good night's sleep or whatever, like I won't want to kill myself. So there's like, or I might have hope of, toward the future or whatever, like, or I may just sure. forget about any of that and be able to live in the moment. So there's kind of like a level where I think when people are feeling despair that um, I think movement, this is where I really like the, the move organization, their slogan is, you know, move. And it's like, yeah. just keep moving, stay moving in life. And that's like part of being animate and being healthy is just being in motion. Um, and so I just, I think about that. And I think about some of the time, maybe these questions um, when we start to feel despair or fear based on a, unknown future that the solution is maybe to just actually move our bodies <laughs> yeah and get, you get know unstuck what I mean? right exactly just like unstick, yes. unstick yourself yes exactly yeah no i think that's i i think it does it does help a lot it we uh we had a night really interesting chat with um uh do you remember cellist glendinning oh yeah um, she wrote uh my name is cellist and i am what i forget the name of it <laughs> Uh, podcast yeah. podcast oh. immediately made me like ruin the names of titles. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm in recovery from Western yes. civilization. My name yes. is Chelsea. I'm in recovery totally. from Western civilization. Um, and she is a super fascinating woman. We actually have not put her um, her interview out yet. But one of the things she said um, when we were talking to her, and she is she is like a trained 
um, psychologist. Like, so she has tons of background in psychology and that has been part of her focus over the years. Um, and she said very um, candidly, she said, 100% of people right now on planet earth are suffering from trauma, have been traumatized. Totally. Like, we are all in a state of trauma. And I was like, whoo, it was like the same kind of thing of like, you'll never be able to drink the water, sweetie. Like yeah, it was like, exactly. whoa. Yeah. Um, but she also said, but that, that is just something that we need to know. Like we can still heal. Like healing is possible and whatever that means for each individual person in their own life that is sort of a separate journey for everybody but it also has to be understood collectively like if we can start right now from this place of saying like we have been living in this extremely violent extremely aggressive civilization we all are here with trauma like present time here we are scars you know wounds whatever it is but if we can all say that together and then we can say, but we know we need to go in a different direction. Like, how do we do that together? That is such a different space to be in than all of us suffering individually, feeling exactly. ashamed of the things that we're going through, you totally. know, feeling embarrassed of whatever it is. Like, you know, you saying, maybe if I go running, I won't want to kill myself. And you're laughing about that. But I know for like so many of us, there are those moments where it's like yeah. really dark. Yeah. It's really dark. It is. Right. So, but like, if we're, it's really different if I'm like, boy, Pete, that sucks. And then I just like go about my day. But if I'm like, <laughs> right. Pete, I totally feel that. Like, I feel yeah. that I'm, I'm like yeah. in that with you. We're all right. in that with you. Yeah. Like now, what do we do? Totally. That feels really different. Yeah. So I appreciated her saying that, mm. you know, just so succinctly, like mm -hmm. it wasn't a super hopeful moment of like, well, we're all a hundred percent traumatized, but okay, here we are. Yeah. Now, now where yeah. do we go? Totally. I had a, um, on another thread somewhere online, a friend of mine was like, what do we do? Where do we go? I think we were just thinking about climate change and the problems here happening in Portland. Another Portland friend of mine was like, where do we go now? Where do we move to? And I was like, there's nowhere left to move. Plant acorns until you die. <laughs> and I'm like, actually, you know, that sounds kind of fucked up. But I was like, that's actually kind of a cool slogan. <laughs> I don't know, you know. Um, it kind of is. <laughs> Well, I think, I think like two, two very true things right now are that one, we have to be like ultra super realists about what the situation is because there's like no time or room or energy for pretending it's anything other than what it is. Right. We are like in the throes of a collapsing, like super toxic civilization and society. And we are like desperately seeking a way to, you know, whatever fix that re remove yeah. that get out yeah. of that like free <laughs> ourselves from that yeah but at the same time like I, and i'm gonna go back to your statement about we need to have lemon balm parties is so it's like we're also lacking just like fun and joy and human connection in our everyday life and truth be told that's what life always has been like life is at its core like you and your core group of people like laughing and eating and enjoying looking at what the babies are doing and like seeing the sunset and taking a swim. Totally. And it's like, that's 
what it is. That's, that's what it is. Like there's, there isn't anything else. You can look under all the rocks you want. You can climb to the top of every mountain. If you're, if you don't have just like that core, really simple, like tenant of being a social creature, like you really have nothing, right? Totally. So it's like, we have to be really, I think, I think to me, rewilding right now is very much like a space of being super ultra honest with myself about like who I am and the world that we live in and being really open, you know, as much as I can feel comfortable with talking about my own struggles with like the people that I know and publicly as much as possible. And just sort of demystifying the fact that we all are struggling. I mean, every fucking day to figure out a way to survive. Right. And then also being in a place of like, oh my God, but this lemon balm is like so good. And it's like so lemony. And like my friends are really funny and like I'm super in love and the kids are like cracking jokes all day. But those things can coexist. Totally. They really, yeah. they really can. They yeah. always have. Totally. Right? So um, I think we just have to like be in that space altogether. Have you ever it's seen kinda... the movie Poem Poco? No. Oh, really? No. Uh, you should, you should. Are you a fan of Miyazaki? Actually, we've never gone down the road. Like the kids and I, me personally, what? Kevin's not, none of us. What? Okay. Y'all I need know. to. We need to have I'm like gonna... a viewing party. <laughs> Let's have a Zoom so... viewing party. <laughs> we'll watch yes. it with you. Yes. <laughs> So there's kind of four movies. They're all sort of, you know, a lot of people look at it as if it's a quadrilogy. It's Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, Pompoko, and then Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Um, But Pompoko is sort of the most relevant to, I think, what we're talking about right now, because it's basically a raccoon colony um, in in a forest that's getting turned into a subdivision. And so Which you must love. Yeah. Raccoon yeah. Well, they're they're actually raccoon dogs in Japan. There's like a dog, a species of canine that looks like a raccoon, but they have giant testicles. And so their testicles are so like funny. part of Japan's mythology and stuff. Like they use their testicles to transform into different animals and different shapes and things. Um, so and funny. in the movie, in the American release, they call them a pouch because Americans <laughs> apparently are afraid of testicles. Um <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, there's actually a scene where the police they they transform themselves into tree sitters to prevent the um the, to prevent the forest from getting logged and the police come in to like arrest them and they end up beating up the police with their testicles <laughs> it's amazing that's so hilarious but there's just like multiple plot lines of pompoko and multiple strategies that the raccoons are employing and it doesn't particularly favor one over the other but it's just sort of like a, a really good example of like how um, the the struggle, I think the the psychological and emotional struggle of like being in a in a landscape that's being constantly destroyed, right? Or where your home is being taken from you in multiple ways. And obviously, you know, that's there there are waves of that. We're descendants of settlers who destroyed the lives of people that were already living here. And we're also members of a civilization that's destroying our lives and everybody else's too. Um, but yeah, Palm Poco is great. I highly recommend it. I was just, <laughs> I have to see it. So many people talk about it and I think it's, I think it's time. It's time for a yeah. viewing party, <laughs> yeah. but I do, I do think that one of the worst things that civilization does to us and has done to us, whether you're from, you know, um, 
you know, settler culture or whatever culture you're from is like, it makes you complicit in the process of right. destruction. Totally. So like, that's a really horrible place to be in. It's like, it's like being in an abusive relationship, but like you are, you're like constantly feeding the thing that is abusing you. Yeah. And you're also yeah. abusing those around you totally. like a hundred percent of the yeah. time. And I honestly think like, when I think about depression and like the way that all of this makes us feel, I think that's the worst part of it. Cause yeah. it's like, it's like you're being forced into this like cruelty. You're being forced totally. into like exacting cruelty upon others almost all the time against your will. And then that is like the most disgusting feeling. And you really, I think like, I think so many of the people I know, like really struggle with like feelings of self-loathing. And I, of course, totally suffer from yeah. the same thing. Yeah. But I think like kind of at the core is this, is that feeling of like, we're stuck in a system where we're constantly complicit in this system of cruelty and how just like, we're not made to live that way. We're not meant to live that way. No, that's not what our social structure, you know, was built around. And no. I think my struggle, my struggle in the moments where I'm like, oh, sometimes I wish I like didn't know anything at all. And I was just like going shopping for handbags. I know. Like, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna do all the things. Mm -hmm. Like in my worst moments, I'm like, I just want out of that yeah. <laughs> like so badly. Yeah. Every single time I put a piece of garbage in the trash can, I have that feeling of like, this is so fucked up. I Every know. time I put a piece of garbage in the trash, I'm like, why does trash exist? <laughs> I know. It's a, it's a it's fucking insane. Yeah. of self-loathing yeah. and being complicit to a system that you're like morally and like biologically and cellularly opposed to. I went so how to the a... fuck do we get out of it? <laughs> I know. And it's interesting too, because you can go the one direction. Like I feel like there was a, a time where you know, um, I was influenced by some of Derek Jensen's writing around this kind of thing of like the, he wrote an article for Orion magazine called forget shorter showers. That was basically along the lines of like, stop feeling guilty for these things that we're forced to do because, you know, giant corporations are the ones that are actually culpable for doing a lot of this stuff. But I have to say, and at the time I was like, oh yeah, fuck it. I don't have to feel guilty for this. Like, I don't know. I don't have to take short showers. I don't have to care about my, Im my impact in terms of garbage. It should be somebody else's fault. That's like up this chain. And the more and more time has gone by, I'm like, it should just actually be both. Like I can actually minimize my energy expenditures as well as be advocating to dismantle civilization, be advocating for more regulation on corporation. Like you can work on every different aspect. You know what I mean? Um, right for sure <laughs> you you can do all of the things like we yeah. don't have to absolve yeah. ourselves of right those and feelings. we don't have to feel super guilty at the same time but we still no. can work on those levels you know anyway um yeah you know i wanted to ask you so i know that you use the word catalyst to describe yourself and just sort of like the idea of sort of putting ideas out there that are a catalyst for rewilding and change that kind of thing can you tell me about that word? I love words. I'm a yeah, writer, obviously. Um, yeah. And can you talk about catalysts a little bit? 
Because I, I do think like so. The word. I think so. I mean, I I should. You're making me now go. Oh God, I should actually like research physics and know. Like, now I'm making the... you embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you know. I, I like the word catalyst because the word leader, expert, um, teacher. I don't know. They're they rub me the wrong way. You know, as being somebody who's like not into hierarchical structures, the words leader and expert tend to automatically show or, 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 you know, make people think of a hierarchy. Whereas a catalyst is just, you know, somebody who lights the match and then puts it in the fire, but then that's it, right? They just lit the match. They're not the fire itself, right? right. Um, that's not to say that they don't have influence. And, and so I'm not anti-influence. I am very much into having influence and to protect what I believe needs to be protected from people who want to co-opt it, right? And I know that Kevin feels the same way as I do <laughs> from our own interactions <laughs> of the ancient past, right? Um, we both yeah, are very yes. protective in terms, of our, in terms of our desire to be influential and protect our ideas and protect our communities um, around them. And so I'm not against like leadership if it's perceived of as just uh, non-hierarchical influence. Um, and in that way, you know, that's what I think about a catalyst. Like when I, uh, I think about um, people like Phoenicia Madrano, I think of Phoenicia as she was a catalyst of rewilding <laughs> to her own fault. She could not be a, a, a leader, right? She, if I'm sure if she could actually have, been a cult leader she that, that is the path that she and would she, have that she would have picked you know she recently passed away right yeah she died a year ago um yeah i know she, a lot uh, of people were very were heavily influenced by her work yeah yeah she refused she had a heart attack and refused to go to the hospital saying she didn't want to go to the covid dispensary <laughs> wow um, so wow. she died. She died at her home of a heart. Well, not her home where she was staying at the time. It's a fucking shame. I know she was a crazy sociopath, but I also loved her and had a very interesting relationship with her in the same way that you might with a tornado or yeah. um, <laughs> a hurricane. You know, you can learn I've a lot from, about her. From, from them, but you can't really uh, live with them. But, you know, people like that who who are influential and catalysts of ideas, but aren't but don't really hold power over anyone else other than just the influence, but they can't physically force anybody to do anything. They don't have armies. Right. right. Um, but I guess maybe, you know, there are mob mentality now that, that certain influence influential people can um, garner their influence to sick the mob on people, which, you know, online anyway, in terms of like canceling or whatever, you know, all that stuff. Um, so there's absolutely like needing to, you know, with great, influence comes great responsibility or something. Um, so I do think people need to have that idea of like, how is this affecting people? Um, you know, but that, that to me is a catalyst. I don't want to be called an expert. Um, I think that that is the more, you know, the more you realize you don't know. So anybody, you know, I probably would have been like, yeah, I'm an expert of rewilding or something like that, like 10 years ago, maybe. Right. In um, the younger days. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And then the more you know, the more you don't know, the more you realize you don't know. So to me, I feel like a catalyst, 
I can be influential, but I'm not gonna, um, I'm not like free of accountability or, or leading in a particular way that, um, that I think quote unquote experts or leaders have. And again, I think it just has to do with like the way people project leadership and, um, influence and into hierarchies automatically when you think about that, those terms. Yeah, so they're, catalyst. They're, yeah, there does seem to be sort of an unsavory trend in people that are, um, I don't know, like interested in rewilding or even sort of like the word of the world of herbalism or particularly wilderness survival skills that tends to encourage this kind of like guru like behavior which is really fascinating to me because it seems um seems an odd way to take this but i i guess it's like in every field you have that you know and so totally. in this one also plus this is like a it's like an emotional it's a really emotional thing like rewilding or you know whatever you want to call it is a is a, an emotional process so you're almost like people are a little bit vulnerable exactly. to like having somebody show them the way. Totally. Um, and I think it's good to recognize that because there is some danger of like falling into the wrong hands, let's exactly. say, or like exactly. seeking health or like seeking to be in health with everybody, you know, exactly. and then to be sort of like led down this like um, kind of like sinister false path of exactly. like following a leader. When really the point is that we're 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 like um, uprooting that idea of hierarchy in ourselves, like that's been ingrained and has been given to us and indoctrinated into us. So I think it's good to like speak about it because it is part and the issues that you've had with like those that we will not name in this field. It's like it can actually be kind of dangerous. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, that to me is, you know, another, in my last rewilding one-on-one class, um, I usually do like a Q and a at the end. And one of the women was like, tell me about the, like, how, how do you organize rewild Portland in a non-hierarchical way? And I was, and I, that's not like, you know, or in a rewilding way. And I was like, no, no, rewild Portland is fucked up. Like, yeah, we're a nonprofit, <laughs> but we're, you know, the, the nonprofit industrial complex is totally fucked. And here's like what I've done to kind of like try to mitigate it which is, you know, our board of directors essentially has the ultimate power. I have a lot of influence, but I don't get a vote. So in terms of the organization, like they're the voting government basically, right? And so it's right. decentralized in a way where, um, you know, voting has to be a majority of the board um, to pass any new kind of bylaws or major financial decisions or hiring decisions. Like, you know, if they wanted to, they could vote me out. <laughs> wow. they could fire me. Right? Um, right. And so even though it's an organization I made and, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'm constantly like, look, I'm a terrible executive director. Like we could, we, we should be looking for, to find somebody else who can do this job, you know? Um, <laughs> and eventually what I would like to do is just be a teacher and not actually the director of the organization. Like, I just love teaching. I love teaching ancestral skills like basket weaving and friction fire and I like teaching the rewilding philosophy stuff, um, you know, deep history and things like that. Um, that's what I want to do for the, the organization, which is, you know, on a, yeah. So for me, it's like, how do I get out of these different positions or bring in enough people that we can work more as a collective? And it really does feel like Rewild Portland. I definitely do most of the work, but we now have grown to the point where, um, 
you know, the person who manages the nursery is essentially like a co-director with me. I don't really have a lot of say in what goes on in um, a large part of the organization now. So just in terms of like my own, you know, um, how I run the thing or how, how I've set it up is a way to like inevitably make it less, that you, you know, can like less... extract yourself from the system. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I've been part of sole proprietorships and corporations before, like another one in Portland, I will not name, um, you know, that is a very, very top-down hierarchical for-profit that does a lot of the same stuff that Rewild Portland does. And I helped start that company thinking that it was going to be a co-op, but the person whose name so was on all the paperwork you know, ran with it. Didn't and have now... the same vision. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he lied and said he did. And then, you know, it was too late. Um, and so when yeah. I started Rewild Portland, it was really like, how do I, <laughs> how do I try to be a catalyst to start something that then I don't have to maintain myself and I don't have the, the ultimate power over, you know? Um, right. And we're at the point now where that has happened. It didn't, well, it wasn't that way for a while because it took a long time to build a, a large enough community that now there's, it's, it's definitely a more of a collective. So do you think that, and I'm curious about your experience out there because, be, because there were uprisings happening during the same time that the pandemic was happening. And I know the West coast had, you know, the West coast and the East coast or, you know, wherever you were had similar types of things going on, but then the West coast has its own particular flavor sort of around <laughs> those uh -huh. types of things. And you guys were really in the news, like quite oh, yeah. a lot, you know, yeah. over this way. Um, I'm curious, like how you feel things have changed over the past year. Like, do you think that the pandemic and all the things that transpired, has that left a lasting effect on the community that you're interacting with, like on a daily basis? So like, whether that's Rewild Portland or the people in your life or Portland as a whole or the West Coast as a whole, or do you think that we will just sort of like migrate back to just similar patterns to what happened? And I'm gonna say, I'm using the term here, before the pandemic, I'm well aware the pandemic is still happening. I am not one to say the pandemic is over. <laughs> yeah. And I and I and I we don't need to get into like all the weird things that are going around going totally. on around talking about yeah. the pandemic right now. Yeah, yeah. But just in a very like flat way, do you think that there that lasting changes have happened like at a core human interaction level? So oh absolutely on a lot of uh, across the board in so many ways, yes. Um, and they're happening in tandem with the decline and diminishing returns of civilization as expressed through the city of Portland's bureaucracy. And um, so I have this, I've been talking about this a lot with people lately. So my mom, when she first went, um, she had her first uh, episode of delirium and was hospitalized about three and a half years ago now. And my siblings and I were all in the room with her and she was hallucinating, um, you know, didn't know where she was, uh, thought there were ghosts in the room, all, just all kinds of really bizarre stuff. Couldn't see like her water cup in front of her face kind of thing, you know? Um, and we, the doctor pulled me and my siblings out of the hallway and he was like, okay, I'm here, here's what's up. I'm gonna give it to you straight. This is your first time your mom's been in here, yeah? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, okay, so, Here's where your mom was. And he holds his hand up high above his head, right? And he's like, here's where she is now. And his hand goes down to his waist, right? And he's like, 
she's never going to be up here again, where his hand uh. is above the head. She might come back here, shoulder height, but she's never going to be up here. And this is what it's going to look like for the rest of her life. She's going to be up here, then down here, and then a little bit, and then way down. And then, and it's just going to be this cascade, right? Wow. And I just, um, I think about this in terms of diminishing returns within sure. civilization, right? So before the pandemic, we were up here. <laughs> then we had the pandemic and the uprisings. And then we were down here, right? right? And then we were up here. And then it was 115 degrees in Portland. And we were back and down here, right? Down there. And now yeah. we're back up. And it, this is what it's going to look like over the next however many hundred years, right? So in terms of like, have things changed? Among people, yes, there's like so many more, um, you know, all of the uprising uh, uh, mutual aid networks that were created for the uprising have just been, they just constantly move around now to whatever the urgent crisis is. So, you know, during the the heat scare we had last week, those mutual aid networks were doing cooling stuff for people, finding, you know, sharing information, all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of, that's super cool, right? Like there's just this thing that's organically happening um, yeah. And that, that part is awesome. Then, you know, I drive through downtown Portland and, um, it looks like a fucking disaster zone. And, you know, you know, the, the thing about the, the, um, uprising and the protests and demonstrations, uh, that people called riots and stuff, which did, you know, the police were every night were basically calling it a riot and then gassing us. But, you know, they, of um, course there were, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you know, there were a lot of fires being started by people and things like that, but it all was happening within like a two block radius, a four block radius in one part of Portland for the most part. And so you see on the news, you know, flames and, you know, police and people throwing stuff and it's, and it's like, Portland is a war zone. It's like, that was literally happening in like a four block radius in one part of town where nobody even really lives. <laughs> right, right, right. So right. there's just this like perspective of like what was actually going on and whatnot. But then you walk around downtown Portland and everything is just like boarded up and there's fucking graffiti everywhere and there's like houseless camps everywhere. And to it, this it's day, just... like right now. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yes. They went, they recently went through the freeway because now the freeway that runs through North Portland, um, you know, it's concrete all the way along it and it was just all graffiti, just like really awesome, you know, amazing stuff. They went through and painted all of it within like days, already new graffiti up all the way across. Right. And I wow. just keep thinking about, um, you know, the, there's a podcast called the fall of civilizations podcast. And it's always kind of about how, like, I don't know if he really ever uses the term diminishing returns, but essentially, you know, a civilization is barely ever conquered from the outside in all the mythology, it will say that, but that's just because it was conquered from its own people, generally speaking, or not conquered, but just dismantled by the people who were living there, right? Sure. Uh, because they reached a point where there was no longer any benefit to that system. And so I'm like driving around downtown Portland and I'm like, Portland's never going to be up here again. No. Like as a, as a city, as an establishment, like the economy is fucking tanking. Right. You know, the pandemic did... You know, there's still pandemics to come. There's climate change. Like we're just being like onslaught now at all these different things. And it's like, and I just keep coming back to that thing of like, I'm driving around and I'm seeing all the boarded up windows. And it's like the same as my mom having this like sort of delirium in the hospital, you know, where 
at some point, those windows will, the boarded up windows may come back, but they won't ever be up here, right? Right. <laughs> We're here. We're here now. We've like gone yeah. past peak oil, you know, <laughs> fucking Biden's trying to get into the tar sands because there's nothing left, right? Right. Like, this is where we're yeah. at. So, so we're no, never going to be up here. Good, that's such a good analogy. It's such a yeah. sad analogy yeah. because you're, <laughs> I mean, your mom really, but yeah. Um, yeah. But it's also a really great analogy as to what's happening. And, yeah. you know, Kevin and I were just talking about this the other day, because I was, we were, we're both, I think we're both really interested in what's happening with around labor right now. Like there's kind of an uprising happening around labor and wages and, it's happening like maybe kind of slowly, but it's like gaining totally. momentum and there's people walking out of their jobs. And like, I think I just saw a statistic that like so many people have quit now, like their jobs in the past month or whatever it is. Um, and a super fascinating thing is happening. And, and from reading about previous pandemics that have happened in the world, this has happened before after other pandemics where like there's this whole idea of like, well, there are these like essential workers and then as soon as the pandemic sort of like eases up like the essential workers are like well why the fuck am i getting paid like not a wage that i can even pay right. my bills with right yeah so we're seeing that happening totally. and then i was kind of like joking with kevin the other day and i was like you know they talk about which is like i really love the, the story of that when the Mayan people started to walk away from their civilization, like they toppled the thrones, like they just yeah. kicked them over. And, and yeah. I was like, maybe that was like just a guy at his desk being like, fuck this stupid desk work. Like totally. I'm out of here. Yeah. And I, we were just yeah. like joking. And I was yeah. like, anthropologist one day will be like, well, they toppled the thrones. Right. And it was yeah. like all their stupid desk chairs, like <laughs> yeah. just like, let me out of this place. Yeah. But like in a very real way, like that's happening and and totally. i do think that that's somewhere where we can like as individuals put some pressure on right now like yeah we can work together hopefully to find ways to employ ourselves creatively or i do love the whole thing that happens now where like if somebody in the community needs money needs some cash needs to be bailed out like you can throw that right up on social media and like that person can be funded immediately by people in the community like totally. without really much yeah. of a middleman thing going yeah. on right so if we can i think if we can like lean on each other a little bit more and get used to doing that and we're comfortable doing that like there is some real movement that can happen with us like extracting ourselves totally. from like working for the system yes. where like all we do is put money in someone else's exactly. pocket and that's really there's freedom there. There totally. is there's, yeah. there's a breath, there's a breath there. Yeah. And like I was talking about this in terms of, you know, me doing the the like gardening or the growing stuff or planting trees or whatever. And it, and I have been working, I had been working for another company earlier in the year, which was like a fine experience, but I was still like working for a wage. And then ultimately the person above me was like getting a larger sum, right? So and then I and then I had this conversation with some other grow or like gardener growers, tree planters that I know, and a bunch of us have sort of like started to make the move to just like work for ourselves as independent contractors and like 
you know, so the money you're receiving from your client, like goes right into your pocket. And when I hire helpers, like I give them all the money that I'm charging for them. I'm not totally. charging overhead off their heads because like, I don't want the money off your head, right. man. Yeah. Like <laughs> I want you, I want that to go in your yeah. pocket. Right. But, and I know that this is, we're still talking about work and this is still wages yep. and that's all yep. disgusting and oh, it's wrong, yep. <laughs> but in, a, in the similar way of like, well, maybe planting a tomato is a step in the right exactly. direction. Exactly. For somebody, I think if we can get out of this trap of like working for this boss that's like over our heads and making money off of us, and at least when we're exchanging monetary value that we're going like hand to hand, like I'm like, here, Pete, here's your money for your hour work. I'm not taking anything off the top. You go buy your tools that you need to do this and I'll meet you at work tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, totally. like yep. we can do that now. Yep. We can, we can say to each other, like we can get out of this system a little bit. And then maybe, maybe that's a stuff that feels a yeah. little less gross. Totally. But yeah, still I mean, gross. <laughs> I think that, yeah, right. Exactly. But at the same time, it's like, <laughs> recognizing that we're essentially held captive in this system. So how do we, we as captives live as much of integrity as we possibly can? And I think that's, that's what we're trying to do. Um, I don't, you know, it, it's impossible for us to walk away hundred percent at this point in time, but the more we put in term in energy into what we're talking about, the more likely it is that we can step away from that. I had a friend who was like, so do you think there will ever actually be like, just, you know, a network of like mutual aid that people just, that's, that's like how we live. Like that's our quote unquote economy or whatever, not that word, but you know, that's the way we make a living is like mutual aid. And I was like, that, that already exists. Like the base, the actual base level of human interaction is kinship gift giving. And that exists. What we have on top of it is like the boot of empire forcing an economic system on top of a matrix of anarchy that just always exists. And when and the, it's a state of being, it, it just is. is. Yes, it is. Yes, totally it just, it's, yes, it's just present and it's there always. And we forget because the state's influence and pressure forces us into its fake narratives, you know, and fake money and all the things that it, it, it believes, right? But underlying that uh, among all of us all the time is a kinship of mutual aid. And so what we have to do is just see that connection, see those connections and do more and more and more and more of that and less and less and less and less of the other thing with the, as much as Great. we possibly can within still being held captive by that system. Right. But right. until we can break out. <laughs> exactly. Which is happening. I mean, that's the thing about it like, you know, diminishing returns. The, 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 the harder it is for an empire to maintain itself, the easier it is for resistance movements to take it down. It's a positive Absolutely. feedback loop. So, you know, if we're working on creating these mutual aid kinship networks or rather recognizing they already exist and then figuring out ways to make them even more vibrant, um, that in and of itself, it's like the subsistence is resistance thing, right? Yeah, it's like, for sure. Because then we'll actually have a system that is taking care of us more so and more obviously so than empire. <laughs> and that's when it loses all of it. That's when it's gone, right? That's when it's just fucking gone. Right. There's, and there's nothing left they can do. Um, well, it's 
like the term anarchist is interesting to me right now because it's like come up in the news multiple times over the past year and the and there's definitely some sort of like campaign to sort of like put a black mark on it like it's like oh the anarchists sort of which is like oh that's like a classic thing totally. right because yeah. it's really threatening to yeah. a society that's based on these forms of government but the funny thing is that i do feel like, I feel like if we can start talking about the term anarchist or like what anarchy is at its core to more people in a more like general open way, like take the like sort of like weird like fear or like kind of like, like there's a thing that happens with anarchism where it feels like there's like a little an inner club of people who are anarchists right. and it's like yeah. nobody, like yeah. nobody else really gets it and fuck you. Like there's <laughs> right. a really like odd yeah. thing yeah. around it sometimes that actually really bothers me. But like, if we can start talking about it in a more open way and like, just kind of a sensible, like this is a state of being for how human, like social structure works. Totally. That we live in these egalitarian groups and we don't need a, a state government to tell us how to behave. That that is like more of an innate, fam like family-based system, right? Or community-based system. like. I feel like I'd be hard pressed to find somebody that doesn't agree with that on a core <laughs> level. But then, right? Like, I, I yeah. feel like most of like the like parents that I know, the people that I know, the neighbors that I know, they'd all be like, you know what? That is true. But because there's like some kind of thing around anarchism, yep. it's hard to get that point across. Totally. But it is, and Kevin and I have gone back and forth on this a lot because I, there is this part of me that has a hard time with the term because of this feeling of like, it's a cool kids thing. <laughs> like, yeah, right. You know exactly. what I mean? Like there's yeah. this weird totally. thing about it. Yep. And sometimes I say to Kevin, like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I think it's can be kind of exclusive. And I think, I don't know if we want to carry that on our shoulders all the time. And then he goes, no, like I'm telling you, I mean, he doesn't say like, no, listen to me. He's like, <laughs> he's like, Listen, <laughs> these are the reasons <laughs> why I think that it makes sense, right? Because he is really, and it's something I admire about him. He is really able to like be in the place where he's like, there are some like nasty things that have happened around this word, right? But like at the core, the meaning of the word is exactly what we're going for totally it, it may it's the marriage of resistance and this like wild state of being where we live in this space of freedom and freedom is like kind of a gross word because it's been co-opted so much but like that's a real feeling like freedom totally. being free yeah. being yeah. in a state of freedom is a yeah. real feeling yeah so i guess I would love to have more dialogue around the word, around the idea of, you know, anarchy and anarchists and what that means. And like, we need to take some of the fear away from it because there's a, there's some kind of shadow over it, you know, and has totally. been for a long time. I mean, I feel like on some level that might be, I mean, it's like any of these words, you know, wild, the word wild is totally problematic in a lot of ways. And I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to fully shake it, but I just won't give up because it means willed. <laughs> it means free you know what i mean it's yeah. the same kind it's and and but people you know anyway so yeah i mean the for me you know there's actually a chapter in the original version of rewild or die called anarchist scenesters versus rewilding and i deleted it um in the reprinting because 
anarchists get enough fucking bullshit from people. And I, I felt like an idiot for, for writing it. Really what it had to do with, <laughs> nothing to do with um, anarchists, it had to do with fundamentalism, you know? And that's I think the, that is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, I mean, and that's the thing is that anarchists are not anarchy. Anarchists are people who believe anarchy should be the basis of our system, but they're not living in an anarchist society. They're not living right. in anarchy, right? So it becomes right. this thing where then anarchists and their actions represent to the public what they think anarchy means because, you know, and so what it just makes it look like it's this other thing when you know, maybe it looks like it's all resistance and they think they're nihilists or something. That's usually what they end up being, you know, projected as is like, oh, they just want to break shit. You know what I mean? It's like, no, you oh, don't understand. For sure. That's what's the going narrative. On, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially in Portland now. And it's, it sucks because oh, it's I just, um, it's just, I feel like Portland media and the larger media has really leveraged what's happened here to, um, to give the word a really negative connotation so much that it's fucking yes. in the, in the president's whatever statement on yes. terrorism, he literally says yes. anarchists in there, you know? So, I mean, it, it's, that's really a big problem for people who are just trying to build resilience, <laughs> you know? Well, it's a big so, problem and we have to talk about it yeah. because there's been yeah. so many accounts recently, you know, like social media accounts totally. that have been canceled yep. or yep. taken off or whatever. Yep. And there's active suppression going on Absolutely. around the term, yeah. around the subject, around people who are building these like systems of mutual aid and community yep. care and, um, that's all really frightening. Mm -hmm. So I think that we have to be really vocal about it and talk about, you know, all the things around the terms, but that they are, you know, at the core of a state of being. And that's yeah. why, yeah. you know, that's why we can't really like throw them out entirely. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a reclaiming, there's a, um, I mean, it, like I said, when we were talking earlier, we're just very defensive and protective of our, of our thing, you know? And, oh yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting thinking about how much of this, how, how much, um, <laughs> I keep referencing, um, collapse of complex societies because Kevin recommended it like a year ago and I finally am like completely through it and I'm just obsessed with it. So I just keep rereading it. Oh, that's but, great. Have you <laughs> talked to him about it? Have you got I haven't yet. No, I, I tagged him yeah. when I posted the picture of it on social media and I was like, thanks for the recommendation. But um, one of the main things that they talk about is like states needing legitimacy and how much fucking energy goes into legitimacy in terms of like diminishing returns is such a huge percentage of it that that's what we're going to see a lot more of in the future is all of their money. They're just going to start pouring into their legitimacy. I mean, it's already happening with cops, right? It like that's happening. the whole yes. fucking uprising is yes. a propaganda campaign to maintain the legitimacy of the police states. <laughs> For sure. And we're just going to see more of that. But at the same time, it's such a ruse now. So many people are aware of it that it's going to cost them more and more and more and then energetically as time goes on, which only further makes their collapse inevitable, right? The diminishing returns right. inevitable. So um, it's kind of weird to like read that book and then just see it everywhere and just see all of the, 
how it's all yes. playing out exactly the same as it did with Rome. You know, I mean, he goes into detail a lot with Rome in that book. And it's just fascinating to just see it all like like it's textbook, uh, you know, textbook description of how societies implode or disintegrate, you know. The hard thing about the past year too, and I think that, you know, the pandemic sort of like accelerated us being able to notice this is that civilizations and, you know, societies like this, they're shitty when they're functioning well, when they're yeah. functioning like at peak, right? Yeah. But they're even shittier to live inside when they're in the process of collapse. Yeah. So like now here we are. And over the past year, I think at times we've all been like, oh my God, now like even the last fun things that existed, like going to see live music or like, you know, the, the parts that still like felt kind of good that took place like within this framework, those got stripped away. Totally. But I think it was also really useful because then we were like, wait a minute, like what, what do we really have here? Not much. Mm -hmm. Like it yeah. was like all of a sudden the crack, it's like the crack in your basement totally. wall there. It's yeah. like all of a sudden the cracks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I noticed a cracks, crack here. Yeah. The cracks yep. are showing. Totally. And uh, you brought up the, um, and I know we're probably going to wrap up here pretty soon. This has been so nice to talk about. Everything. Yeah, you too. But um, <laughs> I have really started to move towards the, the word captivity, that we are just living in captivity. You know, for a long time, I felt connected to the word domesticated, but that does imply some, like some biological changes usually, or at least serious social changes that can lead to biological changes. But I really just think that we are as we have always been, but we are living in captivity. Totally. You know, yep. we're not, I don't, I don't think, you know, we are a true domesticated species. I think we're just the same as we always right. have been. And exactly. we're walking, we're pacing inside the fence, you know? Totally. So, yep. but if we go from that perspective, like it's possible to get out of the fence. Yeah. There are people outside of the fence right now. Yeah. There always have been. Right. So yep. then it's, it feels a lot easier to say, well, all we have to do is like, there was a, there was a great story about wolves that Kevin and I often refer to that, um, you know, there was a pack of wolves and, and one, some were captured and then the rest came back and chewed through the fence to let the other ones out. So it's like, you know, are we changed at our core? Are we like that far removed that we can't get to this like state of being, this this natural state of being that is wild, that is, you know, um, like free, let's say? No, no, not at all. All we have to do is like as one by one, as we like start to get out in whatever way that we can, we just come back and we keep chewing through that fucking fence exactly. and then we like pull each other through. Exactly. And like, that's the work right now. Yeah. And it starts with planting a potato. It starts with planting a potato, and then you can eat, and then you can eat your potato, regardless of which side of the fence you're on. Yeah. <laughs> and French fries are delicious. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Well, yeah. Thank you so much. This was so fun. It was so fun, and it was so nice to come out and visit you all out there for the rewilding conference. And I'm sure that you're probably going to be planning another one right you i'm sure things have been different for you this year yes we'll see what happens but yeah we yeah. may end up doing an international online conference instead and then a more localized one just for portland yeah but we'll see 
Yeah. I know it's, it's different. It's different times. And how about you? Do you have some, you know, what are, what are your projects that are coming out? Right. Yeah. I'm really <laughs> terrible some about books talking about projects that are coming out. But I do, there's a, there's a couple of books in the, in the pipeline. Um, and uh, Kevin and I are pretty busy like writing and trying to get some new work out. Um, I'm, I've also been teaching some classes um, around herbalism and medicinal plants, that kind of thing. Um, and we do have the Black and Green podcast, which is, this has been nice to uh, share <laughs> the space here. Um, so, I mean, everybody can just check out blackandgreenpress.org and or natashatucker.org, kevintucker.org, and all of our current projects are listed on there. Um, yeah, let's let's just be in touch. I think yeah, it's good. Sounds good. I think it's good. It's nice to be able to keep conversations going. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. All, All right, right. I'm going to hang up the recorder here. Awesome. Goodbye. Yeah. yeah Thanks goodbye. Thanks everybody for, li goodbye. Thanks yeah. for listening. Thanks yeah. <laughs>